Well, hello. I'm Richard Buse, welcoming you and greeting you at this next study in Book by Book, as we're doing the great book of 1 Peter in the New Testament. I hope that you've got a Bible with you. And uh, you can see us here, in, met in uh, All Souls Church in Langham Place, London, England, to attempt this Bible study and to share with you in it. So to my right here is uh, Don Carson, who's Professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Illinois, who's come over here from Chicago, and uh, Paul Blackham, Dr. Paul Blackham, my colleague here in London. And together, we're going to attempt this study. And first of all, I think we should begin with the reading on today's study, which is number four in the series, and it's 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 8, right through to chapter 4, verse 7. Now, I won't read all of it, but if you've got a Bible with you there, you follow with me, and I start at chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Well, what a passage and what a subject we're looking at. It's basically on the theme of don't pull out, don't give up hope, don't withdraw, because Christ is our supreme example in all of this. I'm going to start, I think, with Paul Blackham. Paul, could I ask you a little bit? I mean, there's some sort of tie-up, I think, between Peter and maybe the prophet Isaiah in the motivation about repaying evil with good? That's right. It's, it's such a difficult thing where to repay, not just to not respond to evil, but respond with blessing. So what's going to possibly allow to happen? Well, Peter gives us one reason, and Isaiah gives us more or less the same one. Peter says, well, if you do that, if you give out a blessing, you'll receive a blessing. And then he goes to prophet Isaiah for this and he says whoever would love life and see good days that's the carrot Isaiah says do you want to love life see good days okay we'll do this then and it is repay evil with blessing and what's the blessing then that you will inherit what is it to love life it is verse 12 of 1 Peter 3 the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter and Isaiah are saying, if you do this, live this way, follow the example of Christ, you, the Lord will be favorable to you. You will enjoy his friendship and attention. And although the world might be against you and be hostile, their face may be against you. The Lord's face is for you. And when you pray, he's listening. So you might find at work, people don't listen to you because you're standing for Christ. And they say, oh, don't, don't listen to him, he's not serious, he's one of those Christians. But the Lord listens to you and pays, gives you a lot of seriousness. And he's watching you, the eyes are of the Lord are on you, paying attention, seeing what you're doing. You enjoy the friendship of the living Lord. Now that outweighs 
everything else. That, with him on your side, means you can face tremendous opposition. The revolutionary distinctive mark of New Testament Christianity, to love one's enemies, and perhaps we find it hard, but nevertheless we have an example set us. I want to move on, however, to that quite difficult bit from verse 19 onwards of chapter 3, about what, Don, what is Peter talking about with these spirits in prison who are to be preached to? This is um, one of the most disputed passages in the New Testament. Um, there have been many interpretations, but they can be boiled down roughly into three. And yet it's worth seeing the context before you actually look at those three. Mm -hmm. Notice carefully what is said in um, verse 17. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. That still maintains the theme of, uh, of doing good and responding with good, even in the face of evil. And then the example of Christ. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death literally in the flesh, that is in the domain of this whole broken order, but made alive literally in the spirit, that is in this new realm of the spirit who, is, who, is, who has been poured out upon us. And then the difficult passage. Now, the three interpretations can be summarized very quickly. Let's have them. Um, the first says that somehow Christ actually preached to um, the people in Noah's day um, but after they had got into hell, after they had died and fallen into hell, then Christ preached to them, whether in some people's view it was a sort of second chance or a note of dominant triumph, uh, almost a sort of a, a godly, I told a you so, a, 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 a proclamation. proclamation of their doom. Uh -huh. That's the first view. And it was held by Origen in the early church. The second view is that Christ by his spirit preached through Noah to the people in Noah's day who are now in prison. That is, they eventually were consigned to judgment all right. Uh, it's not that Christ preached to them after he died on the cross, mm. but that by his spirit he preached to them when they were alive. That's mm. what Noah was all about. And people appeal then to, for example, what is said in chapter 4, verse 6, this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, do you, do you, do you, do you see? Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and yes. in, in 2 Peter we're told that, um, that uh, Noah himself was a preacher of righteousness. And so, so that's the, the view that comes down to us from St. Augustine. And others have held that this is somehow a preaching to angelic beings, angelic beings who are under doom from, from the initial fall with Satan and so on. Mm. But the important thing here, it seems to me, in the context, the, the important thing for, from our perspective, is that Christ serves as a model. Um, the preaching that was done was done from, from the perspective of a small minority uh, in, in, a, in a godless culture uh, to, to people who were not going to listen. And, um, and there was a perseverance in the case of Noah. He persevered for 500 years to build a boat. And, um, and, and at the end, he was vindicated. So also in our day, uh, we may be a small minority, uh, we may be persecuted, but at the end we will be vindicated. And the supreme example of Christ on the cross and what he has done in redemptive history and what he has done by his preachers, that's the crucial thing in all of this and ultimately there is vindication. So in the context, the, the, the practical lesson we're supposed to learn is this, Christ is our supreme example, don't quit, don't withdraw. That's a very, very helpful answer, Don. And we're not battling it out here, but of course they did battle it out for, oh yeah, many, many years on, on the interpretation of that. Such a help. Let's hold on to what we've just been hearing. 
Um, Paul, why, uh, why don't I come on to you? As a, a, let's talk about apologetics for mm. a moment, because that seems to be one of Peter's strong points, as a way of explaining why we don't fear what the world fears. How should that influence our own outreach and behaviour and evangelism? Well, the, the whole term of apologetics, a way of uh, explaining the faith, comes from uh, normally 1 Peter 3.15. In your heart set apart Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an apologia, an apology to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. None we, of the what do you mean by that? A reason? Yeah, a reason. Yeah. Not like, oh, I'm awfully sorry that I'm a Christian and you know, I don't want to be any trouble. Uh, it's not that, but it's saying, this is why I believe what I believe and live as I live. That sort of thing. And I think sometimes people forget the context of it. It's not sort of an academic debate. You know, when you were in a university debate, always be sure yeah, you've yeah. marshaled the most cogent arguments. In the context, is much more simple situation about not fearing what they fear, that you are set apart in the way that you live your life because you do not fear what the world fears because they fear death, they fear the loss of money, which we've looked at earlier, the loss of the job, the loss of all sorts of things. Uh -huh. The Christian doesn't because they've got the, they understand the value of Christ and so on and so forth. And people will, will see that and think, well, what, how come you're set free from the very the things that enslave us? Why do you not fear what we fear? Then it's an opportunity to say, ah, because of this, and it's an explanation of the gospel in the context of that sort of living. So I think it's sometimes helpful that though there is a place, you know, if we to for the, for the academic debate, that's not the only thing that apologetics is. It's also the day-to-day -day living out of the gospel, which provokes. Mm this question. That's very helpful because again I'm sure that is being practiced in many parts yeah. of the world right now where there's very little insecurity and where people are afraid of what's coming upon mm. them and then that gives the Christian community a wonderful chance to explain a bit and to mm. give an apologia yeah. as you call it. May I pick up on that just a, a shade more too? It ties in also with something that we talked about a couple of programs back uh, that is that Christians are priesthood whose business it is to, to, to mediate God to the whole world. Yeah. So instead of hunkering down and sort of hanging on for dear life, there's a sense in which the very way we, we hang on is by going on the offensive and proclaiming. Um, as also in the days of Noah, where he was supposed to be, as 2 Peter puts it, a preacher of righteousness. Uh, the, 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 these themes keep recurring in, in Peter in a variety of ways. It's not, it's not just thrown out there. It's a, it's a major thing. This is the way we serve as priests. We go on the offensive with the gospel. It is part of his total argument. It's wonderful. Don, let's just stay with you for a minute. What about another, not exactly controversial part, but maybe a bit difficult. How is the water of the flood um, at all like Christian Baptism, verse 20 and 21. It's quite remarkable, isn't it? Just give us a minute it? on that. Yes. Um, baptism was so tied to conversion in the early church. When people were converted, they were baptized. That's what happens. That, that it, baptism could stand by synecdoche for, for the whole thing. Let me mm. give an example. Um, a, a rancher in the western part of the United States might be asked, how many head of cattle have you got? He might say 4,000 head. Well, he's actually got more than the heads. He's got the whole animal. I mean, what, what's he supposed to do? Um, say 16,000 legs and divide by four? So the head stands for the whole animal. And you could ask somebody in the early church, when did you become a Christian? 
and he might say, oh, I was baptized in Corinth in 59, although, of course, he wasn't using that calendar. Um, because baptism was the mark for him of, 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 of entrance. His faith, his repentance, his, uh, his vows before the Lord, his baptism, they were all part of the, 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 the same thing. So the mention of Noah and water, where, where in which Noah and his family were, were saved from the water, through the water, that is by being raised up on the water, they were saved from drowning and the boat actually saved them and brought them above all the disaster, mm. becomes a way of triggering a parallel in, in, um, in, in Peter's mind. Uh, baptism in the early church is precisely tied to conversion. It's, mm. it's the means of grace that is bound up with their repentance, their faith, their, 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 their trust in Christ, their, their vows before the Lord, and, and that becomes uh, the, the parallel in the new covenant of what it means now to, to, to press on with godliness and obedience to Christ. Mm. Thank you very much indeed. Let's again hold on to that as best we may as we continue with the passage because just to wind up, I think I'll give you just a few seconds, Paul. We haven't got long, but I mean, Paul, if you were in Peter's congregation, came to him for advice on resisting all the evil things and the evil desires in your own life, what would, your, what would his pastoral advice be? I think he does what he's done before, and he says, the end. well, he, he ends the section with, the end of all things is near. So he, he wants us to do that clear thinking again. What's the future? Where, where are things going? He says, well, verse 7, the end of all seven, things. Verse uh, 7, at the beginning. Yeah. I like in verse 3 where he's saying, now, what have you done in the past? Well, You've spent enough time doing that sort of thing. Any time is too much time. And then he says, uh, look at the example of other people. They uh, had the gospel preached to them. They held faithful to Christ. The world maybe thought little of them, but they have lived to God and they're vindicated because the end is worth looking to. It's always the end. We must give account to him. Keep judgment day in mind. What is finally going to be worth it? When you're standing there on resurrection morning, how do you want to have looked back and said, I've lived a life that was worthwhile. This was right. This was a good use of my time. Any time is too much time doing those other things. They're worthless. Oh, Paul, how to live. Very important. This is one of the great emphases of uh, 1 Peter. And as we finish, let's just remember that suffering is an integral part of the Christian mindset. It's part of spirituality, as some people call it today. I sometimes read books on spirituality, and I think, where is the suffering element? Because it is everywhere here. And uh, somehow we learn how to deal with it. So thank you for joining with us again. We'll come back on another occasion. <laughs>